Hey friends, I love a good story, especially when it's a God story. And I have another one today that I know will build your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to like or follow this podcast on your favorite streaming platform. That way you won't miss any of the stories of my amazing guests. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, in the New Living Translation, the author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. My guest, Stacy Blackstone, desires to do just that, keep her eyes on Jesus. A dear friend and former roommate of mine, Stacy has been a successful banker, a missionary, and a homeschooling mom, now serving as administrator for Galcom International, a ministry that gives help and tools to missionaries and local pastors internationally so they can reach more people with the gospel. Stacy is also a wife and mother of three teenage and young adult daughters. Whenever I have the pleasure of connecting with Stacy, I am always encouraged and challenged in my life, and I know as you listen, you will be too. Welcome, Stacy. Thanks, Jody. It's great to be here. Give us some background on yourself. How did you first come to Christ? It's probably good to start at the beginning. I was a six-week preemie in 1963 when that was a big deal. Not so much now, but it was then. And so I was sick a lot. And then my father, who was a severe diabetic, died in 1966. And even though our family went to church before my father passed away, once he was gone, my mom was the sole breadwinner for the family. And as a nurse, she had to work every other Sunday. So we sort of fell away from going to church. But when I was in middle school, some friends of mine invited me to go on a retreat with their church. I'd never been to anything like that before, but I said yes because I loved them and I knew I'd have a good time with them. And at that retreat, um, it was as if my heart was just brought alive to sensing the presence of the Lord. On the last day of that retreat, I accepted him as my Savior. We didn't have much conversation about Christ as Lord at that time, but I did receive him as my Savior on that retreat. So you believed in Jesus. Absolutely. But didn't really understand that he was something more than just your Savior. Uh, he was kind of fire insurance, so to speak. I think a lot of a lot of people come to Christ that way without that full understanding of of him being Lord. So life went on without too much interaction with God. But when you look back over your teen and young adult years, as so many of us do, we can see the fingerprints of God providing for us and guiding for us. How did you see him in your life when you look back? Well, you know, Jody, my story is full of God planting seeds that I didn't recognize at the time or doing things in my life that I had no idea he was doing. But I couldn't see them clearly until much later. Just the people that he brought me in contact with who planted seeds that I just thought were people being nice. But in reality, um, he was keeping me out of serious trouble. <laughs> and he was putting guardrails on me through the people he brought into my life that, as I said before, I just couldn't recognize until I was much older. So when did you come to the realization that there's more to the Christian life. It's interesting that you say that there was more. I was always hungry for more. I mean, I can remember in my high school and university years 
I would go to the Bible because, as I mentioned earlier, I started out in church up until the time my father passed away. And when my mom remarried, he was an alcoholic. As you can imagine, I had a lot of questions. Um, you know, God, why? Um, and I would always go to the Word looking for answers. But at that point in my life, it was really dry. I didn't get the answers I wanted. But I knew, something deep inside of me knew that God was there. I just needed to figure out how to get in touch with him. But it wasn't until when I was 32, I think, a friend of mine asked me, would I do this inner healing retreat for her? I'd never heard of anything like that. We had been in a Bible study together because several years earlier, I had started going to a local church and she asked if I wanted to start doing a Bible study with her and a bunch of other girls who were already meeting. So I said, sure. And one night we were all sitting around and all of them were doing this retreat. And she said, well, why don't you do it? And Jody, you know me, I never do anything without planning it or praying about it. And I just said, yes, even though part of what I needed to do between that Wednesday and Saturday was read seven books, but I did it anyway. And it was truly life transforming for me because I began to understand that, yes, the Lord had saved me, but I had a purpose in life that was much bigger than myself. And it was about glorifying him. And that wouldn't happen unless I fully surrendered my life to him and made my life about him and not about me. I wasn't emotionally in a place to really know how to live that out yet. And inner healing allowed me to heal from some of the wounds of my childhood and then become more available to the Lord to be used by him. So inner healing might sound strange to some people, but it's really a targeted form of Bible study and discipleship. Explain a little more what happened to you through that time. I mean, was it weird or how did the Lord minister to you through that? And what, what actually was it? Well, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is, and it makes me laugh, because I remember sitting in this room full of people, worshiping, hearing teaching on the word and thinking, Lord, I am a spiritual peon in a room full of spiritual giants. Do I really belong here? And as it turns out, that's what he really wanted to start talking to me about is that I not only belong there, but he had made me to be there. And he began to reveal himself to me as God, my father, my Abba father, which was really powerful to me, having lost my dad at three. And then my stepfather was not what God would have wanted for me in a father, not reflecting him accurately. And so as we studied the word, sat under teaching, and prayed, the Lord just really opened my heart to see him for who he really was, as opposed to like my father, who went away when I was three, or my stepfather, who was too caught up in his own issues to really be a father to me. He tried, but he just wasn't equipped to do it. God revealed himself to me as a faithful, loving father who wanted me to be whole, and available to him. Are there a few books you could recommend for anyone listening who wants to delve more into that realm of learning how to allow the Lord to minister to the deep wounds that they've had in their life? Oh, absolutely. The first one that comes to mind is The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. Um, it really helps us understand how 
um, our relationship with our earthly father or father figures can shape how we see God at a very unconscious level, some of which will be true, but some of which won't be. And so it's good to have our eyes open to that. And mine certainly were, and it made all the difference in the world to me. Another book that I read during that time was Something More by Catherine Marshall. And the title suggests she was looking for something more. And I very much identified with that because so was I. The last one, which is a little bit um, heavier than these other two, is Transformation of the Inner Man by John and Paula Sanford. It really digs deeply into how our experiences can impact us and how the Lord desires to set us free and bring us into a right understanding. Those are just a, a handful of them, but they made a huge difference in my life. So you had become a successful banker at this point. I mean, you're, you're in your 30s, but your attitudes and your interests and your priorities began to change once you embraced Jesus as your Lord and you realized he had something more. Share about that. Well, yes. I, when I went into inner healing, I was very, very, very heavy with limitations that I had put on myself. Um, some because of the circumstances in which I grew up that I thought limited me. Some because of my own choices. Um, you know, one of the things we learned in inner healing is you can't control what happens to you. The only thing you can control is how you react. But until that becomes part of the way you think, sometimes we react sinfully. And even after that becomes part of how we think, sometimes we react sinfully. But the Lord can handle all of that. He can bring us to the point of forgiveness. And as a result of that time in your healing, I began to ask the Lord, what do you want to do with my life? How can I honor you in my life? What I had always thought I was going to do is just continue in banking. And suddenly I realized that may not be at all what the Lord has for me. And while that was both exciting, it was also a little scary. So I just began seeking the Lord as to what he wanted me to do. I just wasn't sure what it was, but I knew it would involve surrender. Yeah. And then you started hearing about missions. <laughs> that piqued your interest. Yes. Um, I remember before I moved in with you that one of the things you said is, I have to warn you, Stacy. people move in with me and then they get a heart for missions. And that's absolutely what happened. Um, within a matter of months, a mutual friend of ours, Angela Dahl, invited me to go on a mission trip to China. And again, one of those times in my life where without even thinking about it, I said yes. It's as if the heavens opened up while we were in China. And I began to see that the Lord might be calling me to something more. And in fact, I really, when I came back, I thought, well, I'm going to go to China and teach English. And I began pursuing that. And the doors just did not open. And I was very confused by that because I, I thought I had it all figured out. And in reality, the Lord was quickening something in me, but he was about to remind me that he does things a little differently than I do. And I just need to keep listening. Yeah. I, you know, I love that scripture in Proverbs sixteen nine that says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's exactly what happened with you. I mean, you were moving toward the glimpse of what God had showed you. Absolutely. Completely open at this point to God directing you, your steps. And, and he did, but it wasn't the direction he thought he was going to take you. So what happened? Well, I think it was about January um, of, let's see, 97, that the door clearly closed for me to go to China. I had asked 
several of my good friends and my spiritual mother and father, John and LaRose Allman, who led the inner healing group that changed my life, I had asked them to pray about this because I felt like all the doors were closing and I, I really wanted to hear from the Lord on whether I was supposed to persevere and press into it trusting him or whether he was really just closing the door. And that's such an important principle. I'm just going to stop you right there, uh, Stacy. You know, when we start hearing from the Lord, there are multiple ways to confirm whether that's really him. One, of course, is, you know, is it biblical? And two, is a council of godly people around us praying and saying, yeah, or no, we really don't see that God's doing that in your life. And course, trusted, godly, mature people who aren't trying to manipulate us. And and that's what you had around you that really helped uh, confirm what you felt like the Lord was saying. Yeah, absolutely. And these were people, not only whose walk with the Lord I trusted, but who I knew would tell me the things I didn't want to hear if that's what God told them. And that's exactly what happened. They all said, um, no, Stacy, we think this door is closed. And so I just began praying. Um, and as part of my responsibility as a team leader, I should probably back up and say I went in 96 on the first trip. I went in 97 on the second trip. And that trip, I was a team leader. And part of my responsibility as a team leader was to go to the board meeting for the missionaries we worked with over there and give a report on the trip. At that meeting, there was a man who I knew his name. I knew he was involved in missions. I knew he even went to our church, but I went to the eight o'clock and he went to the 11 o'clock. And as the saying goes, those are two different worlds. Never the twain shall meet. And so I had never met him in that meeting. I thought, wow, I, I, I like this fellow, but I was under the impression that he was dating someone. So I just, in my mind, I closed that door, but apparently the missionary with whom we both had been working did not. And he began pumping each of us up to the other in hopes that something would happen. We didn't know he was doing it on both sides, but he was. And then he devised a plan for the two of us to work on a project together for the ministry. What started out as conversations about the ministry project really turned into us getting to know each other. And the conversations were less and less about the ministry we were working with and more and more about our lives and what the Lord had been doing and what he was calling us to. That gentleman's name is Tom and it eventually turned into marriage. So how did that happen? Because he had, he was going a different direction. Absolutely. And he even told me um, as we got to know each other that he did want to ask me out, but he was under the impression at that point that I was headed to China he knew he was headed um, to Asia. He thought, well, I can't ask her out. I don't want to derail her. And I often joke with him that if he thought he could have derailed me, he still didn't know me very well. <laughs> because if the Lord told me to go to China, I was going to go to China. But as I said, he didn't. He closed that door and um, we went on our first date. And this will shock some people, but he was getting ready to go overseas and roughly six weeks from the time we went on our first date. We often joke and say that we covered all the important territory before we went on our first date. So six weeks after, the night before he was due to go overseas for six months, he proposed and I said yes. That's how our adventure began together as husband and wife eventually. He came back 
six months later, and a month after that, we were married. And then 11 months after that, we returned to the country in Asia where he had been. Yeah. So you went and lived in this country for six years, and that was quite a time. What did God do in you and through you during those years? Because moving to another country is, you know, I mean, that's not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of challenges, but also you knew the Lord had you there. So there was a purpose and a reason for you to be there. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. When you move to another country, particularly one with such a different culture, both from a spiritual standpoint and just a day-to-day life standpoint, it's very, very humbling. You know, I, um, I always joked when I told my testimony before I went overseas that I was surrendered to the Lord, but I never hesitated to suggest to him um, a good way to do things. And I always thought that he probably chuckled when I said that. We're good planners. And so, you know, again, that's laying it down, Lord, you know what you want to do. And so it was very, very humbling to be in an environment where it was very difficult to be understood, even though some people spoke English, a lot did not. I don't know if anyone else has ever had this experience, but if you've learned a second language, when you start to learn a third, sometimes you will speak your second language in the environment of the third. So a lot of these folks that I was encountering thought I was crazy because I wasn't speaking English, but I would be speaking Spanish because I had already learned that. So it made for some pretty comical interactions. It's also amazing to report, to experience that when we were over there, as humbled as we were, as little as we quickly realized that we understood because things operated so completely differently. For example, this was an honor and shame-based culture. And it was shocking to me to realize that in that culture, lying is considered the right thing to do if it preserves honor. We had to realize we can't take everything at face value. And we can't assume everyone's going to trust everything we say, even though we know we're speaking the truth. But the Lord really opened doors for us that were shocking as we just allowed him to shape us by coming face to face with the things we didn't know. And also by just seeking him and doing the next thing. And early on, um, we were thrust, quite literally thrust by you (laughs) into a disaster relief scenario that allowed us to work very closely with some people that we may never have had the opportunity to work with in that country. But uh, when that disaster happened, you called or emailed, I think, um, saying that the organization you were working with wanted to um, support the relief efforts there. And we said, with us, we're, we're newbies here in this country. We don't have the contacts and we don't speak the language. But you graciously said, we know you, you can work with whoever you want. And as a result of that, we had to reach out to the people that we knew who would have the contacts and know how to carry out this relief work in the way the Lord wanted it carried out. And that allowed us to work with these folks that really we never thought we'd be able to. You actually even started a family while you were there, too, which opened new doors because, you know, children in that society were really highly valued and provided you 
more opportunity to share. Oh, absolutely. Um, I can remember the neighborhood that we lived in. Um, every neighborhood in this country has, in the English version of the word would be a manager. And that is the, the highest authority in that neighborhood. And they truly manage neighborhood issues. And this man really took a liking to our oldest daughter after she was born. And he brought her a gift very early on. And that was sort of like, okay, now you've been accepted into the neighborhood. And you're right. Through those girls, we had our second daughter while we were there as well. Um, so many conversations were made possible just by having them in a stroller when I went to the market one day a week when the market happened. And relationships developed that would not have easily developed otherwise as a result of having small children. So you all had every intention of remaining in the country and continuing service there. But once again, God directed your steps in a different way. Six years later, he called you to something new. What was next? The first thing he seemed to call us to was what I refer to as a, a time wandering in the desert. Our home fellowship that had sent us out to the mission field mandated that we take a furlough. We had been um, going pretty strongly um, on the field in the disaster relief and the other things we were involved with, a fellowship there on the field. Um, and so they mandated that we take a furlough. And initially, we just did not like that because we wanted to go, go, go. The Lord was doing things. We wanted to be part of it. But here's another example of how the Lord was working when we were in the States for that furlough. Not only was our third child born, but our um, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with dementia. And it became clear that she could no longer live alone. And so we needed to remain in the States. And so our time overseas was cut short rather abruptly. We, When we left the country, we thought we were going back. And so our household was still in place there. And um, Tom had to go back and sort of sort that all out. And we put a lot of things in storage and hoped that we would be returning. But during this time that we were at home with her, things changed in that country. And um, some of the other folks who had been sent out by our fellowship actually had to be sent home. And in hindsight, that thing that we did not like having to come off the field was really not only provision for his mother, but it was also provision for our family. It would have been a very different situation to go back with small children in that environment. And while we would have been willing, if the Lord confirmed that that's what we were supposed to do, because we were prepared for that when we signed up in the first place, he was clearly closing that door and we just had to trust. But what followed that was three years of not really knowing what the Lord was doing. We had three small children. We were full-time caring for his mom. Tom was substitute teaching in the school system, part-time pastoring a church that was um, between full-time pastors. And I was, as I say, just busy caring for the children and my mother-in-law. And while I have always been very fulfilled as a mother, and it was my honor to take care of his mom, I was often saying, okay, Lord, what are you doing in this? Um, where, where are you taking us in this? Because it really feels like we're just sort of wandering right now. And that was a very difficult time, but it also brought to mind 
what I had read um, in the book I mentioned earlier, Catherine Marshall's Something More, that there are times in our lives when we just long for more, um, not because what we're doing isn't of value, not because it isn't important, not because it isn't part of what he wants to do in us, but because we know that there is more that he has for us. Um, and sometimes it's just a longing for more understanding. And I would say that's probably what was going on in me more than anything at that point is it all didn't make sense to me. And as we've joked, I'm a person that th I like things to make sense. I like to know where I'm going. And this was the season where the Lord just reminded me, you don't have to know, Stacy. I do. And that's enough. And he did. He was speaking to you. I mean, you kind of felt like you maybe weren't in the middle of his work, but you certainly were because, boy, Scripture talks a lot about caring for our families. And, you know, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for not caring for their parents and for trying to get the Israelites to give tithes to them instead of caring for their, their families. So it's very much on the heart of God. And, you know, friends, there are widows and orphans all over the world who need to experience the tangible expression of God's love right now. Many have special needs that we as a company of women can meet together. Will you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the Widow and Orphan Fund at the top of the page. Stacy, you are a mom of three active girls, and by this time, you're in your routine, your daily life, but you're learning for that, yearning for that clarity about what God was doing and, and what he was saying to you. When Tom called you and, and you had a new adventure to explore. <laughs> yes, it was Good Friday in 2008. And he came home while you called and started talking to me about this ministry um, that your dad was heading up. And um, said, you know, they're looking for someone to take over as my dad steps back from day-to-day -day activities, um, even though he's very much an ambassador for the ministry, for sure. Um, and you said, you know, do you think you and Tom would be interested in something like that? <clears throat> and I said, well, you know, let me talk with Tom and see and let's pray about it. And so Tom came home from work that day and I told him about your call and his mouth dropped open and he looked at me and he said, Stacy, I stood in the hallway today during a quiet time when normally the hall is never quiet. And I just said, Lord, I don't know why you have me here, but if this is where you want me, I'll stay here as long as you want me here. But if there's something else you want me to do, let me know. And then he comes home and I tell him you had called. So as you can imagine, that made quite an impression on both of us because separately we were constantly laying down what we wanted, what we had frankly thought we would be doing. You know, we thought we'd still be on the mission field. And you know, there was a lot that we were grieving, to be honest. Um, things that we thought we had mm. understood, directions we thought our life was going to go. And we had to grieve that. And at the same time, um, you know, when you're grieving something, you can either hold on to it and become bitter and angry, or you can lay it at the Lord's feet and say, okay, this is an offering to you. Use me however you want, because I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful. And so that's what we were doing to the best of our understanding. 
And so um, on our 10-year wedding anniversary, we flew down to Florida and we interviewed with the folks at Galcom, your dad being part of that group. And we were really excited about it, but we also saw that God's hand had been all over every step of the founding and functioning of this ministry. And so after that weekend, we went back and we just started saying, Lord, this is such a powerful work of your hand. If this is not for us, block it. Don't let us go anywhere near it. But if it's of you, please confirm it undeniably. Because what we want more than anything is just to be where you want us to be. And at that point, saying that was a little scary, to be honest, because look where he just wanted us to be in a season where we really felt like we were wandering. And he could easily say, nope, you're going to wander a little bit more. And trust me, you need to grow in trusting me. And by this time, Tom's mom had also passed away. Well, no, not yet. She didn't pass. Yeah, she didn't pass away until after we took the job with Galcom because the Lord confirmed it clearly. We put up every obstacle mm. and the Lord overcame them um, very clearly. And we moved to Tampa in 2008. And then in 2009 is when she passed away. You've told me that the Lord invited you into something better than you had been grieving. You had been grieving, you know, the mission that you had had to leave. But, you know, share how God just revealed to you that he called you into something better than what you had. Absolutely. Both Tom and I had felt a very strong call to missions. We had done the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course that opened our eyes to the missional theme throughout the word. And it was very much a part of our identity. Um, I shared with you before that prior to us coming off the field, a a doctor there in uh, Hampton Roads had offered to do um, a surgery that would correct my eyesight. And it was very kind and very gracious of him. And then after we came off the field, I had contacted him to see if that was still a possibility. And one of the people in his office said, it is a possibility. We can schedule you for it, but you'll have to pay for it. And I said, oh, well, Dr. So-and-so had offered it. And he said, well, but you're not a missionary anymore. That was a moment where the Lord, I think, decided I need to deal with that. (laughs) And what I mean by that is when I read the book, something more, Catherine Marshall said, that the Lord will be faithful to take you through a stripping process that will remove anything you're relying on for your security, your identity, all the things that the Lord wants to be for you, he will remove because he wants you focused on only him for those things. And in that moment, I realized, wow, my identity as a missionary had become more important to me than the Lord wanted it to be. And so I had to lay that down, not just not being on the field, but I had to lay down missions and say, okay, Lord, you called me to this, but you can call me to something else if that's what you want. And then as it turns out, um, the calling to Galcom took us from grieving over not being able to be in one country that we loved deeply. We love the people. We knew we were supposed to be there. But the move to Galcom took us to a place where we were part of reaching over a hundred countries in the world. And that staggered me. And I almost can't talk about it without crying because that's another story in my life that 
the things that I thought I wanted, the things that were so important to me, the things that I thought the Lord was leading me to, I had to lay down, but he gave me something even better, not only by my own estimation, but for his kingdom purposes. And since we've been at Calcom, and it's been almost 15 years now, I continue to be stunned at the privilege he has given me to be part of strategically reaching so many countries. And I have to laugh now at how downcast I was over not being able to stay in one country. And um, I'm thankful for uh, the internet and all the ways that I can stay in touch with the people we knew there. But I'm also grateful that the Lord brought us into a place where we could be even more strategic than we were there. Yeah. And one of the strategic things that we've done together with Somebody Cares and Galcom is we've provided audio Bibles in Ukrainian yes. to Ukrainians um, in Ukraine and, and those who had to flee Ukraine once the, uh, the war with the Russians started. Yes. Um, and also uh, I think providing some Bibles to Russians as well uh, in the Russian language. So it's been, and the hunger uh, the hunger for the word of God and it is, has been phenomenal. I mean, when people are in crisis, they want truth. And those audio Bibles have, and solar powered audio Bibles even, so they don't even have to have a charger, uh, which is important in Ukraine because a lot of the, the electrical power grid has been damaged. Um, it's just been a lifeline for many, many people. So that's just one of the strategic ways that Galcom and and you have been able to have an impact uh, in the world. One of the things we love about being here is the ability to pivot quickly, to to enter into what the Lord is doing. And that's what happened with Ukraine. Mm. Um, The Lord just opened the door through Somebody Cares and through um, our partners with Galcom Canada um, to be able to get those devices on the field quickly. And that's just That's a God thing. No one else could do that. And it's amazing to watch him do that. It's amazing to watch him turn us in a direction we had no way he intended to take us and then make provision for it. And I see him do it over and over again. I want to share one of the most exciting things also that I've been a part of here, even though I wasn't on the ground, I was part of getting the team on the ground that did it. As missions-oriented folks, we like to take the gospel to people. We particularly like to be part of taking it to people who've never heard it before. But one of the things that we had the blessing of being part of doing is taking audio Bibles to some folks in the mountain areas of Mexico in their heart language. While they had heard people read the Bible it had never been in their heart language. And so we were able to bring them to a primarily oral culture, audio Bibles in their heart language and see them. I've seen it only on video, but to see what happens when you hear the word of God in your heart language for the first time, it's humbling to be part of that. And it's so powerful to see someone recognize that God speaks their language. And these are small tribal groups that are yes. in Mexico but and speak Spanish, but their, as you say, their heart language is a tribal language. 
Yes. Um, and they're they, largely oral cultures. Yeah. They, they can read, but they choose not to because it's their cultural way of functioning to have stories passed down as opposed to um, recording things in writing and passing it down. Yeah. So audio Bible, I mean, it's the story of God's work in the world is, is an amazing entree to those cultures and those, those people groups. As you well know, we also have um, solar powered radios and then devices that are a combination of a radio and an audio Bible and the audio Mm. Bibles open the door in a culture and then create the need or desire, I should say, for a radio station. And so it just grows and grows and grows because like me, they want more. The more they know of the Lord, the more they want of the Lord. Well, that was 15 years ago when you joined Galcom, as you mentioned, and so much has happened in your lives since then. Your daughters are now in their late teens and young adult years, which is can be a little scary from time to time <laughs> for moms and dads. Um, Galcom, as you mentioned, has expanded Uh, But what has God been teaching you and revealing to you in this season? I mean, you've been involved in a lot of the work that he's been doing, but what has he been speaking and sharing with you? Because, gosh, we're always in that process of transformation with the Lord. You know, we're always moving from glory to glory, so to speak. Absolutely. The recurring theme in my life, Jody, is intimacy with him. Um, It's really easy in our Christian walks, not intentionally, but through a a desire to do the things the Lord wants us to do, it can be really easy to get into a habit of just doing what we think we're supposed to do. And increasingly and consistently, the Lord reminds me, no, I want you to do the works I've prepared in advance for you to do, as Ephesians 2.10 references. But we're not going to know what those are if we're not in regular conversation with him, seeking him and listening to him and obeying him, yes, and then trusting him. Because we often don't see the results of what we're doing we just have to trust him for those results. And we have to trust that if we misunderstood him, like I did about China, that he will redirect us, not in a punishing way, but because he loves us and because he's faithful. And so more and more, as I get older, things become more simple for me in one regard. And that is just keep my eyes on Jesus. Just keep talking to him, keep listening, um, keep doing what he tells me to do and trusting that everything's going to be okay. Um, And when I say okay, I mean, I'm going to be in the center of his will and he will have made provision for my needs and everything that is necessary to accomplish his will. Well, often that just means I need to be reminded that his ways are different than mine and I have to be willing to go, okay, Lord, um, I'm getting increasingly comfortable with being clueless about what you're doing. (laughs) I'm just really grateful that I can trust you at every step. Yeah. And, you know, so important that in your younger years, uh, the Lord healed those concerns that you had about fatherhood and revealed to you what a good, good, good father he is. Because when we have that understanding of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's compassion, of God's mercy, it is so much easier to trust him. Um, You know, if you don't have 
that revelation that God is a good father and loves you and cares for you, it's hard to trust him because you think, well, maybe he's just going to zap me if I step out of line. And that's not as hard at all. I was reading in uh, Exodus this morning how Moses was talking to God and said, God, show me your ways. And God said, I'm going to show you something and I'm going to call my name out to you. And uh, I don't have it open right in front of me, but he says, I, you know, I am the Lord. I am gracious to who I want to be gracious. I'm compassionate to who I want to be compassionate with. I show my love to, you know, generations and that's who he is. He's not an ogre God up there looking to um, discipline us because we're out of line. When he disciplines us, it's in love for our good. And that's why we can trust him. Absolutely. And as you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind that may seem random, but it's a great example of what you were talking about. Um, when I was overseas in a predominantly Muslim country and I was pregnant with our first daughter, I was having my time with the Lord one morning and I just said, Lord, give me a scripture for her. Um, I just, I want something to hold on to as I walk through the rest of this pregnancy, which towards the end, um, I had a little complication, nothing serious, but s still something that was a little scary as a first time mom. He gave me Isaiah 54. And one of the parts of that talks about terror being far removed. It also talks about great will be your children's peace. Well, a week before she was due to be born, we were in the United States um, to have her because of the complications that had happened. My doctor over there said, you need to go to the States because of your age. I was over 35 and because of this complication, the week before she was born was 9-11. And here we are having a newborn and getting ready to go back to a, a Muslim country. And we didn't know what it would be like. We knew what it was like when we left, but we didn't know what it would be like when we went back. Um, not only did we immediately begin receiving um, emails from folks there saying how sorry they were that this happened, but immediately the Lord brought to mind that scripture. I have made a promise to you. And it gave us such peace about taking her back to that environment. And uh, she was a pretty powerful missionary on her own once she went back there, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. So Stacy, are there any key truths that have guided you in your journey with the Lord? I mean, as you look back over all of the experiences that you've had, and there've been many more even than we haven't been able to talk about today, what are some of the key truths that have really guided you? Well, you said earlier, he is good always. And one of the things that's driven that home for me is as I look back later at situations that at the time I was saying, Lord, why? what are you doing? Or Lord, are you doing anything? I look back and those were the times when he was exercising his goodness and his faithfulness towards me the most. And the reason I couldn't see it at the time was because his ways are not our ways. Rather than keeping my eyes on my circumstances or the way I think he was going to work or should be, how dare I be so bold as to think I should know how God should work. But I have to confess that there were times that I did. He just was so faithful to remind me, my ways are not your ways. But as everything plays out, his goodness is revealed over and over and over. As I said earlier, things just get simpler and simpler the older I get. 
I just have to keep my eyes on him and remember who he is because when things don't make sense in life or when things are particularly difficult or we feel confused or we're grieving or we feel directionless or we feel like God's forgotten us, it's the knowledge of his character, the essence of who he is that tells us he cannot abandon us. Mm. He cannot forget about us. He cannot be taking us in the wrong direction. Everything that he does or he allows in our lives is truly for our good and will be used for his glory. Just staying close to him, loving him, understanding how incredible it is that an all-powerful, all-knowing God, one who knows every ugly thought I've ever had and every mistake I've ever made, chooses to love me, chooses to save me, and miracle after miracle to me chooses to use me to advance his kingdom in any way, whether it's the young lady that I have coffee with during the week or on the mission field. He will use me however he sees fit. And all I have to do is keep in touch, you know, sit and listen to him every day, praise him and be available. And he does things that I could never have imagined. If someone had told me in my early days that I would ever have been on the mission field, I would have laughed. Um, I remember in high school um, studying uh, all of the ancient ruins and thinking, oh, I'd love to see those, but thinking I never would. And then one of the first things I did is went and stood in those types of ruins. And I remember being overcome by his goodness that he gave me the opportunity to be there. And it was only because he called me to the mission field. And we don't have enough time, but I could tell story after story after story of how he has done that. And knowing who he is defeats so many of the lies that the enemy tries to tell us when we're confused, when we're grieving, when we're hurting, when we don't know what he's doing. But he is good, good, Amen. good, always. Well, Stacy, I'd love to ask my guests what women or woman of the Bible has encouraged or inspired or taught you something. Who comes to mind for you and why? Well, you know, Jody, as I get older, more and more women in the Bible <laughs> inspire me um, as my life experience changes. But the two Marys come to my mind. First, Mary, the mother of Jesus, because of her abandonment of herself to whatever he had for mm. her. It humbles me. It inspires me. And I just want to be like her in my willingness to lay everything down and trust him that what he's doing is so much better than anything I could imagine, even when I don't understand it, like Mary didn't understand it. Um, and then also Mary, um, the sister of Lazarus, um, you know, she knew the better thing of just sitting at Jesus's feet, being in his presence, absorbing what he had to share on that day. And you know, if I'm honest, and I think you'll identify with this too, I can tend to be a little bit more like Martha, but I long mm -hmm. to be more and more like Mary. And he has grown me in being hungry daily for his presence. Um, but the reality is, I think in life, there are seasons when he prompts us 
to be a Martha because there are things that have to be done. And there are seasons when he prompts us to be more like Mary. But the reality is both of those things are part of his plan for us. But we're only going to know if we start out like Mary, sitting and listening and then doing when he tells us to do or waiting and trusting when he tells us to wait and trust. And so I just love being more like Mary because I get to know him more and I get to trust him more. And my hunger for others to know him grows and grows and grows because he is so good. Well, Psalm 141 verse 8 in the NIV says, but my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you, I take refuge. Stacy's learned the beauty and peace that comes from keeping her eyes fixed on Jesus. Our world today can be scary and confusing if we fix our eyes on the news, the economy, the circumstances around us. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are flooded with peace and hope and purpose. Stacy, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who's listening to this God story? Lord, I thank you that you are always working, Lord, and in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. I think today of the people that you have brought to listen to this podcast because there's something that you want to use to touch their heart and draw them closer to you. And Lord, I thank you for that evidence of your goodness, your deep love for each person that's listening. Father, I pray that you would miraculously take the things that Jody and I have talked about today and use it according to your good plan to draw these people closer to you, to reveal more and more of who you are. And I pray for each person listening, Lord, that their hearts would be opened to receive all that you are, to walk in the assurance of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your purposes in their lives and through their lives. Because, Lord, that's who you are. You're always doing something good, and you're always seeking to bring glory to your name, that more would know you, more would love you, and more would be used by you for your kingdom purposes. So thank you, Lord, because we know that's what you're doing today. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find scriptures and other information we talked about, list of the books Stacy recommended. Don't forget to sign up for our emails and get a six-week devotional book for free that you can download. Or you may want to purchase a 12-week devotional for just $12, knowing that all the proceeds will go to our Widow and Orphan Fund. We love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line, so give us a call anytime at 855 459 care or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you from Philippians 4, verse 7. May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.